everyone, and welcome back to Air Magique. I'm your host, Eric, and with me is my amazing co-host, Niels. Hello, everyone. Today, we will be doing a deep dive on Frontierland at Disneyland Paris in part two of our new deep dive land by land series. Yes, I'm repeating myself here, but <laughs> Frontierland at Disneyland Paris is my favorite version of all the Disney parks I've been to. That iconic Big Thunder Mountain weenie. Yeah, but before we get to all that, Niels, what's something that caught your eye at Disneyland Paris these past weeks? Well, DLP Report shared some pictures last week uh, where we could spot the Disney Village Christmas uh, kiosks. Yeah, so nice. Uh, for the yearly Christmas market over there. And the kiosk have been brought out to a staging area behind Disney Village. Just like we saw some photos of the Christmas decorations, some of the Disney hotels uh, being shared earlier. But Tuesday, November 24, it became clear that Disney can't open for Christmas. As the French president said that, uh, well, no theme parks can open during uh, the Christmas season. Such a bummer. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, Disneyland Paris uh, plans to reopen now on uh, February the 13th next year. But uh, I heard that World of Disney, the big store in uh, Disney Village, as well as uh, the Lego store, most probably will open again as a click and collect pickup location uh, this Christmas season. So, yeah, there is still (laughs) an opportunity to, well, catch some Disney magic, although it's just Disney Village and uh, there's not... uh, that much to do but they might open uh, some of the christmas kiosks as well so uh, that'd be so cool at least it's something (laughs) if you live close by definitely if you're like a local parisian this is a nice way to escape the daily hustle and bustle exactly yeah yeah i also saw that eurostar because of this canceled their london disneyland paris connection until july 2021 so a really really long time yeah even though it's opening back up on february 21st or i mean fingers crossed that it will you're not going to get that nice train service but at least there's still a service to central paris from london which is nice exactly yeah so what gets your uh, attention eric Neil, some concept (laughs) art. So this past week, Disneyland Paris released some concept art as well as an updated look at the construction progress of the new Cars Route 66 attraction over at Walt Disney Studios Park, which is currently expected to open sometime in 2021. Specifically, this was all about the station, which is loosely inspired by mid-century modern architecture. Now, the internet and myself were freaking out because (laughs) the station looked super bland in the released art, only it turns out that it's not concept art, but an architectural rendering, which apparently does not include theming. So (laughs) if somebody showed me just that rendering without any context, I would have no idea that this attraction is based on a Disney Pixar Cars property. Like, it just looks so wherever. It could be where in any city anywhere. If you look at the architectural render, you know, mostly white geometric structure with light blue color accents yeah i would love to see them add some neon signage Mm -hmm. and elements that reflect the aesthetic of the good old colorful route 66 americana style like the cars race rally attraction does in front of crush's coaster what I did like in the render were the lighting fixtures that looked like giant retro taillights, mm-hmm. like from some iconic 1950s automobile. Yeah. So they could do something with those. 
on the attraction, parkours will pass this concrete looking tourist information booth that's full of colorful maps, postcards, and other decorative items designed by Walt Disney Imagineering. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> yes! And these maps, they look so gorgeous and at home in the Cars universe. I wish we could see the station stylized in this way. Yeah. So hopefully they'll add lots of theming there. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. The loading station, which is currently half finished, is actually the first building constructed outside of the current perimeter of Walt Disney Studios Park. And once completed, will be accessible to parkgoers via a new road extending from Toy Story Playland. Regarding the attraction itself, Disney states that it will be a family-friendly journey discovering some of the wacky roadside attractions alongside the famous Route 66 highway. Okay, so this sounds kind of exciting to me. I was afraid it was only going to be a remodeled Catastrophe Canyon. Mm -hmm. But if we can get some more fun experiences in there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and the maps yeah. do give some hints on what we might experience on the attraction. So first of all, it's not Catastrophe Canyon anymore, y'all. It is cars Catastrophe Canyon. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> That's a nice dad joke in there. Yeah. We're likely to meet Lightning McQueen under the world's biggest lug nut as well, which sounds mm -hmm. interesting. Then we've got Stanley Cap and Tap, which will probably be some kind of colorful hubcap collection. And the world's only garage in a mirage, so Stanley's Oasis, which does appear in the California Adventure queue as a mm -hmm. water tower. So garage and a mirage sounds kind of like a desert themed <laughs> garage. Honestly, I'm, I'm really open-minded as to uh, what they're going to do here. It sounds interesting. Also, no word yet on whether or not we're going to get those cool animatronic talking cars like the ones from Radiator mm -hmm. Springs Racers. I would sure love to see them there. Maybe they found a way to update the projected eyes and mouth on the animatronics to something with a LED screen or some kind of technology that would work for an outdoor show scene. But I'm kind of skeptical since the whole attraction is not exactly screaming big budget no. e-ticket to me since the trams have screens in it. It might be that the character will just appear in video form and guide us through static scenes. Yeah, so. that's a possibility indeed. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of the trams, those are getting a car's reskin with eyes and a mouth and everything. So <laughs> at least those will look kind of cute. Anyway, stay tuned for more on the Cars Route 66 attraction. Yeah. Really curious how this will uh, well evolve <laughs> yes. and come along in the next year. But uh, it's great that there's something happening, something new coming. And uh, the first new thing since Ratatouille. Exactly. Yeah. Back in 2012. Oh my gosh, eight years ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Feels longer, honestly. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to this. Even if it's just a small, tiny attraction that you do for lunch, I'm still looking forward to it because it's something new and they're doing something new and exciting, which is always cool. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'd love to see like a whole Cars Land like they have over in Disney's California yeah. Adventure. But at least, yeah, it's something. And maybe it's uh, indeed a nice addition to the bigger attractions because you just sit down it's perfect for bad weather as well yes to take a rest <laughs> from all the crowds and the excitement so yeah, i think there's room for an attraction like this in the whole park yeah. most definitely and the park can use any attraction it can get at the moment it's so <laughs> yeah, limited currently true. with all the construction <laughs> going on so i'll take it yeah. i'll take it whatever so frontierland i mean what an iconic land i'm not going to talk too much about it here in the intro because i think we've got lots to say about yeah. it niels why don't you start us off with your number one yeah so well the number one should be the story of thunder mesa 
for me, the most important one because this unique story covers all of Frontierland, Eftisenland, Paris, Frontierland, is a fictional town called Thundermiesen. The storytelling already starts at the land's entrance. So we enter through a fort, which is called Fort Comstock, created by the first people that came to live in Thandermisa. The fort gave protection against possible attacks from a native tribe. You can find their teepees just in front of the fort. So they're not just there. <laughs> they're really there for a reason to well build a story. So the inhabitants of the small town were mostly farmers. And Tobias Norton and his sons opened the first shop in Thandermisa. So you can find it on the right side when entering uh, through the fort. In front of you, you see, of course, the mighty mountain surrounded by water, uh, Big Thunder. And the natives uh, told stories about a powerful spirit protecting it, the so-called Thunderbird. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> it would uh, punish anyone disturbing the mountain well, or trying to rob its richness and shake the earth. So that's what they told. And it never happened until one day. And that's where the story of Henry Ravenswood starts. In uh, 1853, Henry Ravenswood found gold in the Big Thunder Mountain. And soon a railroad and riverboats brought more <laughs> fortune seekers to the town. Everybody wants that gold. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why the Molly Brown and Mark Twain riverboats, as well as the Frontierland train station, perfectly fit in the story of Thunder Misa. Henry Ravenswood uh, decided to uh, start the Thunder Misa mining company and he professionalized the whole mining process. He became rich and the town also profited from the business. So more shops opened, more facilities came to town. And Thunder Mesa became a really lively town, a place where people wanted to live. Henry built himself a majestic uh, mansion within the, a cemetery on the hill overlooking the town and, of course, his precious mine. He lived there with his wife Martha and their daughter Melanie. And life was pretty good in Thunder Mesa. And over time, more businesses popped up. For the rich, there was the Silver Spur Steakhouse, an upper class dining experience. Next door, a high society saloon opened by a lady um, who got her hands on a huge golden nugget <laughs> somehow. <laughs> That's the, the lucky nugget saloon. And for those who were less fortunate, there was Last Chance Cafe, eh, where they spent their last few dollars. And all these restaurants, eh, we can still enjoy uh, these days in uh, Disneyland Paris, uh, but that's not all. On the other side of town, a big establishment was uh, created for uh, special occasions and celebrations. The people of Thunder Mesa could come together there in a huge barn, bring their own chair, and that's why the Cowboy uh, Cookout Barbecue restaurant still has a mix of chairs. They could have some Wild West meat dishes like ribs and chicken and have a good time together. And there was also a theater in that area, probably created in the same period of time as another form of entertainment uh, for the people of the town. That's how all the restaurants and the theater also fit into the story of Frontierland of uh, Thunder Mesa. So now we know how most places in Thunder Mesa or Frontierland connect to each other. But how about the two main attractions? Well, in the year 1860, the mine was attacked by the Thunderbirds and the mine owner Henry Ravenswood lost his life in a heavy earthquake. His wife also died and the mine closed, but years later the mine trains went wild and they were still running, without any mine workers of course. So that's the Big Thunder Mountain roller coaster attraction as we know today. And then we have Ravenswood Manor, known as Phantom Manor these days. It's a ghost house where we discover the mysterious stories of the Ravenswood family. It wasn't just a wealthy, good life that they had. As Henry used to be a very protective father and he didn't like the men in his daughter's life. So they all died in mysterious ways and her last suitor wanted to take her out of town. And with the death of Henry, he seemed to be the lucky one, able to marry Melanie. 
however, at their wedding day, the groom never arrived and Melanie is still searching for him till today. You can spot her in a ghostly form inside the manor, uh, heartbroken. And we also meet the ghost host who seems to be Henry Ravenswood uh, himself, returned from the grave and making sure that his daughter (laughs) won't marry uh, and leave the town. Talk about an overbearing father. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So, well, years passed by and uh, Thunder Mesa became a less lively town. And uh, after the gold rush years, People who stayed became farmers again. And you can find the farm and the fields in the Cottonwood uh, Creek area, which is uh, behind the Cowboy Cookout Barbecue. Once Disneyland Paris had real animals uh, over there, but uh, they're not there anymore, uh, unfortunately. But you can best see this whole area from a trip with the Disneyland Railroad. uh, And then you can perfectly spot the fields and the farm. So, well, that's... The story, and every time I tell it to someone, I'm amazed again myself how smart and how perfect this is and how it connects everything. So, yeah, this is what makes Frontierland the best land, in my opinion. Most definitely. I mean, what an incredible, detailed, lovingly constructed backstory and just everything in the land reflects it which is so cool so even if you don't know it word for word as Niels just so beautifully presented it to us you still get a sense of storytelling throughout the space Mm -hmm. it's very cool yeah it is it's practically uh, perfect as uh, Mary Poppins would say (laughs) (laughs) good one (laughs) so what's the first pick on your list uh, Eric (laughs) I'm kicking it off with my favorite quick service restaurant at Disneyland Paris Fuente del Oro Restaurant which is a counter service restaurant located right across the entrance to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which means it's always super busy. busy. Yes. (laughs) It serves Tex-Mex and Southwestern American specialties like fajitas, enchiladas, and nachos. The layout of the restaurant was inspired by traditional Mexican four-sided hacienda residences, which gives me such sunny vacation feels, honestly. (laughs) It (laughs) features a beautiful courtyard at its center with half of the walkway facing wall missing. This allows parkgoers on the adjacent side to get a great view of the restaurant. Although the structure is not based on any actual historic building, it does incorporate many details typical to the hacienda architecture, such as the adobe walls and the wooden beams sticking through the facade. Yep. Adobe is one of the oldest building materials known to man. It's been used for thousands of years by the indigenous peoples of southwestern United States, Latin, and South America. Adobe bricks are made of a mixture of sand, water, and clay, formed in wooden molds and dried by the sun. When finished, adobe walls are covered with mud plaster to prevent the bricks from deteriorating. To highlight the effects of the harsh environment of the American Southwest, from blazing sun to freezing snow, portions of the protective plaster of the Fuente del Oro building were omitted, as if sprung away over time, exposing the adobe brick construction underneath. And the facade's rich color palette of terracotta and orange was intentionally faded to lighter hue at the top of the building as if bleached by the sun. Towards the roof, you might notice logs sticking out of the side of the restaurant. These are called vigas, which support the wooden poles sticking out called latillas, and in turn supported wooden lathing or layers of twigs covered with packed adobe earth. A strong southwestern Native American influence is noted by the figure of the Cocopei, welcoming guests through the entrance portal of the restaurant. The Cocopei is one of the most well-known figures in An... oh gosh... Anasazi... <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's, that's difficult. Oh gosh, Indian mythology and Hopi legends. <laughs> he is a trickster god representing the spirit of music and presides over childbirth and agriculture. Dang, he's got a lot on his plate, okay? <laughs> so, traces of the Kokopei imagery has been found painted onto and carved into many rocks throughout the southwest. Kokopei is usually depicted as a humpbacked flute player, but you might notice that in Disneyland Paris, he isn't carrying a flute, but a spear, yeah. which <laughs> he is sometimes depicted holding to frighten away hostile spirits. There's also a hidden Mickey to the lower left-hand side of the statue, which is a really fun spot. Yeah. So be sure to check out our previous episode all about hidden Mickey's at Disneyland Paris. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On the other side of the entry portal, one can find a bass relief image of the moon and stars. This imagery is based on Native American design and is associated with their agricultural calendar. The crescent moon represents a time of planting, while the full moon represents a time of harvesting. Despite the restaurant's rustic outer appearance of wood and adobe brick, the real building materials are actually steel and concrete. This was done to comply with strict European construction laws and <laughs> yeah. regulations, as well as to ensure the building's structural integrity. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy it's not real adobe and sticks and stuff. Upon entering the restaurant, you will immediately come across the counter where orders can be placed and some of the regrettably slowest moving line in Disneyland Paris. Seriously, don't come here if you're pressed for time. Two large dining rooms are located to the left and right. The interior features a vibrant color palette which is carried throughout the space to ensure visual continuity. A variety of floor tiles were used throughout the restaurant from refined glazed terracotta to rustic stone pavers, all in accordance to the Mexican theming. Rather than settle on the use of a singular type of floor tile, Imagineers spaced out the floor tiles in such a way that they would invite guests to explore the restaurant's interior. The windows of Fuente del Oro are filled with semi-transparent glass, so this allows a more subdued light through the windows and doors. And honestly, this has kind of always bugged me a bit. I adore people watching and generally just looking out at what's going on outside. <laughs> so having these yeah. all milky and covered up always frustrates me a bit. But yeah, I get the lighting. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But usually there are enough people inside as well, so that's... Uh... <laughs> that's true. You've got something to look at there. <laughs> the light fixtures are all reproductions of various designs that were researched and traced back to the authentic styles of the late 1850s, the era when the structure would have been built in Thunder Mesa. Ah, oh, Disney lighting fixtures are so gorgeous! They're the best! The remainder of the interior decor, props, and dressings was inspired by Native American and Mexican folk art and influences. The wall paintings, fireplace, statues, masks, and musical instruments. Ugh, all gorgeous. My favorite design detail is the giant fox-like animal that is depicted over the counter service area mm. with that gentleman in a sombrero holding a skewered veggies. Oh, makes me crave those fajitas just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Getting hungry. Uh, yeah, honestly, this is one of my favorite quick service locations at Disneyland Paris, and it's also got really great vegetarian options, so if you're a vegetarian like my husband, this is the place to go. Um, okay, so what does he take? I believe there's vegetarian fajitas, Ah, okay. if I'm remembering yeah, correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can choose chicken or, well, just uh, the vegetables. Just veggies. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's really good. Sometimes what we also do is we cheat and we just order two chicken fajitas and he just gives me his chicken and I give him extra veggies. That's also a possibility. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I really like the nachos uh, over there. Ooh, and uh, yes. I usually take the churros as a, well, as a small uh, snack. <laughs> oh, and that burst <laughs> of sugar midday is so good. It just revitalizes <laughs> you and exactly. gets yeah. you ready to get back out there. 
<laughs> What's next on your list, Niels? Um, next, I take us to my um, well favorite attraction and also yours, I believe, uh, in Disneyland Paris. So, Big Thunder Mountain. Um, yeah, I already told the whole story of uh, Thunder Mesa and how Big Thunder fits in there. So, I will keep this one uh, shorter and talk about other things than the story. Big Thunder Mountain is a steel mine train roller coaster, and you can find it in multiple Disney parks. In Disneyland Park, uh, Anaheim, Walt Disney World in uh, Orlando, and Tokyo Disneyland, and of course Disneyland Paris. That thing is everywhere. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the ride has a lot of similarities in the different uh, parks, but well, there are definitely some differences too. Ours is the best. <laughs> Ours is the best. I totally agree. <laughs> so the Paris Mine Train is based on the Disney World version, but it's improved, well, at least in the, my opinion, as our version might be the most unique one as it's the only mountain situated on an island uh, in the rivers of the far west and right after the start the train dives into a tunnel under the water at high speed you reach the island to get lifted and experience the track like well in most other parks but this first part with the tunnel makes it really special and um, well extra exciting i think but also the final part uh, it's another tunnel uh, back to the mainland and that really dark tunnel is the place where the train reaches its highest speed. Perfect climax, in my opinion. And yeah, that's only something that you can experience in the Disneyland Paris version. So another great thing of this ride is that the whole area is themed with lots of actual mining props sourced from the US. So that's, well, making it feel more authentic as well. That's so cool. It's really like a, well, a little museum. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Some numbers. It reaches a speed of 65 kilometers an hour on the one and a half kilometers. So that's quite a long track. There are no inversions or loopings uh, and the drops are relatively small, making it a great family coaster and also suitable for me. <laughs> <laughs> From uh, 40 inches or 102 uh, centimeters, kids can join uh, the parents uh, for a wild ride through the wilderness. Yeah, and it's, well, as I said, it's beautifully themed. It has lots of turns, tunnels, caves, multiple lift hills. And on those hills, it's possible to spot the Tower of Terror, but also Sleeping Beauty Castle. So yeah, that's well a nice little extra. <laughs> and of course, you can see a part of Thunder Mesa, including the magnificent Phantom Manor. It's a perfect way to explore the whole land, uh, basically. When riding at night, uh, there's also a chance to see the fireworks from the nighttime shows above the castle. So yeah, that's also brilliant. That's such a great yeah. moment. But it's, well, yeah, you need a bit of timing <laughs> to be there in the right moment uh, and, uh, well, get totally. bored. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's some luck involved there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's also a possibility to just go to the castle and then watch a show over there. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're up there, on top of the hill and you can see the fireworks yeah it's perfect i think i said enough you just have to experience this uh, be sure to go during the extra magic time or to grab a fast pass when it's available again uh, it's not available now due to the COVID measurements but uh, yeah this is a really popular one so uh, yeah count uh, <laughs> on some waiting uh, here definitely and when things are back to normal and they use both lines available be sure to use both sides when entering the queue because a lot of people just line up on one side <laughs> yeah and you can save like 20 minutes or so of waiting by yep. just using the other side they're both open they're both yes. available you're not doing anything wrong use the left side definitely yeah, yeah. again <laughs> here's a throwback to our disney hacks episode yeah no what an iconic attraction i mean this is 
the anchor of Disneyland Paris for me. This is when the first thing I think of when I think of Disneyland Paris is Big Thunder Mountain. Second thing, the castle, maybe whatever. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. And it's such a big thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For me, it feels like it's covering like 10% of the whole totally. park. Totally. It's massive. The boarding station on the mainland and all the, the props around and the whole rivers of the far west with the island. And, and of course, the rivers are also used for the riverboat. But yeah, it feels like one big thunder totally. <laughs> area. It's yeah. a fun experience. Ooh, you get that funny tingling feeling yeah. in your tummy when you're on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden it stops. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you're back to the real world. <laughs> yep. Exit to the left or yeah. right, depending on which yeah. side you come back on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So my next pick, I wanted to talk about some of the lost treasures of Frontierland. While Frontierland offers mm. a plethora of fantastic experiences today, some have been lost over time, either due to budget cuts or operational issues. I wanted to honor these experiences since they were so uniquely Disneyland Paris, and having visited the park in its early days, I remember some of them fondly. Now, between 1992 and 1994, daring guests could try their hand at the Indian canoes. Moored at an old Indian landing bay decorated with hides and birch bark. Assisted by two guides, 20 guests per canoe paddled the rivers of the far west past abandoned mines, Joe's Landing, Wilderness Island, audio animatronic animals and geysers, and, best of all, under a rocky arch that spans the rivers of the two islands, so also known as the Rainbow Arch. Really only slightly different from the Molly Brown experience. During the ride, the guides would try to animate the guests to help paddle the canoe by singing songs. This was often reduced to a more rudimentary melody when the French guides <laughs> had a canoe full of, let's say, Italian, Spanish, German, Portuguese-speaking guests, and they didn't understand a word of what they were saying. <laughs> the cast members also had no mic or other speech assistance amplifying device, so you would need quite a pair of lungs to be the head of that canoe. Now, at one point, this attraction was going to be much more elaborate. The canoes were supposed to travel into crystal caverns located in the Big Thunder Mountain Island. That would have been pretty cool. However, that never came to fruition. Now, these things did not run on rails. So if the guides weren't paying super close attention for a second here, some <laughs> overexcited guests only paddled in one direction, which would regularly result in bumps <laughs> into the sides of the rivers of the far west and uh, some slight confusion. <laughs> yeah. Today, the loading canal of the Indian canoes can still be found at the back of the Pocahontas Indian Village playground, or I think now it's known as the Frontierland playground, yeah, which opened in 1996. The area was originally known as Geronimo Landing. Believe it or not, the Indian canoes are not the only thing missing from the waters of the rivers of the far west. The River Rogue Keel Boats. Interestingly enough, if you look at a map of Frontierland Playground today in the Disneyland Paris app, the River Rogue Keel Boats station is still illustrated in there as well as the narrow river passage for the Indian canoes. Both are not labeled though. This was almost a Jungle Cruise-esque experience with a cast member narrating the journey in French live. During this 10-minute boat ride, you got to experience Again, pretty much everything you see on the Molly Brown <laughs> and the Indian canoes. So at one point, you had three ways to experience the rivers of the far west. <laughs> yeah. Now, in the early 90s, parkgoers could pick up a charming hand-whittled souvenirs in the woodcarver's workshop at Cottonwood Creek Ranch near the Frontierland Depot. 
By request, the woodcarver fashioned plain wooden offcuts into some lifelike models of your favorite farm animals or figures such as eagles, Native Americans, and quarter horses. The woodcarver left his small workshop in 1995. Nowadays, the structure only serves as Santa Claus post office during Christmas time, which is a bit of a bummer. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah. it was such a little charming experience. And yeah, woodcarving. What a lost art. Last but not least, there used to be a live action stunt show on the roof and balconies of yeah. Fuente del Oro. The show featured characters from the 1957 TV series Zorro, which became popular in France during the 1980s. Although the stunt show was very well received among guests, it only lasted for one year. Crowds would gather outside of the patio walls, and park operations considered this a hazard to normal orderly guest flow along the walkway between Fuente del Oro Restaurante and the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad ride queue buildings, so they canceled performances of the show. Yeah, I mean, I can honestly yeah. see that. The area is usually crowded enough without a show It being is. presented there, yeah. <laughs> and there's not that much space. <laughs> yeah, so you already get a lot of people blocking the road. And... Yeah. But on the other hand, these kind of shows in the open add something to the dynamic. Totally. To, well, make it feel like a, a real town. It's a pity that it's not there for that reason, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't have many critiques of Disneyland Paris Park planning, but positioning Fuente del Oro Restaurant right, right in front of the Big Thunder Mountain entrance to me was <laughs> mm, maybe not the best not choice, the best in place. my opinion. No. I would have preferred maybe a shop or something, put Fuente del Oro mm -hmm. a little bit further back or something, just to move that flow along nicely because even now on busy days it just it's very crowded that whole space it is other than that it's perfect it's so perfect it's so good <laughs> what's next on your list Niels? uh next is the pueblo trading post this is not a very fancy shop or a must visit for every guest but it's a special place that a lot of people might miss that's why i want to mention it here This trading post is a bit hidden in the back of Frontierland, behind Thunder Mountain's train depot, in the quieter area close to the playground and a cowboy cookout barbecue. In the trading post you will find the latest Disney pins and also uh, other collectible items. So this is not a regular shop, but a place where you will find the diehard Disney Parks fans looking for additions to their valued collections, a collector's chat, pin trading with cast members. Nice. And, and, yeah, and other collectors. So yeah, this is... Different place than any other shop uh, in the, the Disneyland Paris Resort, I think. If you want to trade, this is uh, the place. Eh? There are tables outside where trading is allowed. If there are any new limited pin editions being released, then they'll be here. Oh, that's cool. So if you see a long line of people in that area, then well, they're probably waiting to pick up the new releases. The post is not open all the time, but uh, I think mostly in the weekends. But well, be sure to check the opening uh, times uh, up front if you plan to visit. To conclude some history on this place, in 1992 when Disneyland Paris opened, this place used to be a Native American themed merchandise shop. As next door, as Eric just told, was the Indian canoe attraction yeah. uh, on the rivers of the far west. So, well, this used to be the accompanying souvenir shop. The canoes closed really soon and the shop didn't make any sense anymore. So it started to sell Disney and Frontierland merchandise, but it closed after a while and, well, probably because of the bit distance location. So it's missed by uh, many people. The reopening as a pin trading place was a really good decision, uh, I think, as well, fans will find the resort's main pin trading location for sure. And there's space enough in that area for uh, the trading tables, but also for the long lines at the pin release day. So uh, yeah, I think 
they found a perfect destination for this place. <laughs> Honestly, I had no idea. But that's so interesting that they have like a whole pin trading area. Yeah, it's a whole community, huh? the, the, the pin trading community. And uh, they're releasing new pins every month. And well, you can just buy a couple and start trading with well cast members and uh, and maybe other people uh, uh, or other guests um, if you see that they are wearing their pins uh, <laughs> clearly on a lanyard and uh, yeah that's uh, what's happening and then of course it's uh, all about finding uh, those special ones or yeah. uh, those pins of your favorite characters or your favorite attractions do you own any disney pins niels um i'm not a pin collector but uh, yeah <laughs> i do own some <laughs> uh, i think i bought the run disney uh, pins in the years that i uh, participated myself as a little uh, souvenir oh nice i have one of uh, hotel new york just before it closed so that's uh, yeah that's oh uh, nice. that's a bit of history right there yeah exactly so that's a valued one yeah i think that's pretty much it what i really bought in the disneyland paris shops but i also bought some older pins from the opening year or early years of disneyland paris on a marketplace online so i have a couple of sponsor pins from the different lands uh, i have uh, Frontierland and Discoveryland with a little icon and well there's some sponsor logos like Philips on those pins so those are not <laughs> official pin trading pins but yeah these are more historical and uh, I decided to buy uh, those so uh, yeah it's, that's really fun yeah so do you have any pins in your collection or I'm definitely also not a pin collector diehard pin collector anything like that but every once in a while i might pick up one or two because i have this yeah. leather jacket where you can put the pins in the leather jacket and then you can just wear them proudly on your chest which is a lot of fun so i've got a rainbow mickey which was like a special pride release disney pin yeah and then just some of the disney characters doing silly things like stitch and mickey and Minnie and all that good stuff so yeah. nothing limited cool. edition or no. anything crazy like that but no, fun to look at yeah stuff you like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned it before I'm going to talk a little bit about Fort Comstock. Yeah. It's the name of the iconic fort that acts as a sort of entry point to Frontierland from Central Plaza. Mm -hmm. But it's so much more than just the themed walkway. It's an entire walkthrough attraction. Imagineers conceived it as the opening scene to Frontierland. It was built before the film Pocahontas came out, which depicts the struggle between opening up the West to Western thinking versus the Native Americans who loved and dearly cherished the beauty of the past. The Imagineers wanted to convey this concept through the encampment. Before walking into the fort on the right-hand side, one might notice the teepees, which you mentioned. Yep. It's not an unfriendly Indian village like was often depicted back in the early Western days, where they're all fighting with bows and arrows. There are a lot of Native Americans that were very peaceful people, and they traded with the settlers and so forth. So what parkours get to experience is that moment in time. Now, Imagineers knew going in that many Europeans might not have as much knowledge about how settlers lived, which is why the walkthrough attraction goes into great details on that end. When parkours step into the fort, they can go up, see a lot of characters that are part of the Western story from Buffalo Bills and Davy Crockett to his sidekick Russell. Yeah. So you really get the full package. Parkours can strengthen their feelings for what it might have been like living in such a rustic environment. Unlike Disneyland in California, which features two smaller forts, neither one of them a complete attraction onto its own, Imagineers decided to build one large fort and have it as an attraction that gives parkour some storytelling to set up the entirety of Frontierland. 
So park tip for you guys, if you want to get one of the best photos of Big Thunder Mountain, go up the stairs with Fort Comstock and get that money shot. Yeah. It's really spectacular when the sun hits the mountain in the right way in the mornings. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. So you cannot ride Big Thunder then, but at least you, you have got a great some memory. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's either running yep. to Big Thunder yep. or, uh, yeah. <laughs> or getting a picture. <laughs> when parkgoers exit Fort Comstock, the very first thing that catches parkgoers' eye is Big Thunder Mountain. Imagineers were very careful to add a weenie to each land of Disneyland Paris, Big Thunder Mountain being the most dramatic reveal of them all, in my opinion, followed closely in the heels maybe by Space Mountain <laughs> over in Discoveryland. So, <laughs> it's a really great moment in the mornings when you're running to Big Thunder Mountain to try to get on there, be the first one on there and re-ride, maybe get a couple of one or two rides in, and you just see that massive island on the rivers of the far west with the train running across yeah. the track. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Do you have any favorite Comstock moments? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> well, it's not an attraction that I do every time, but yeah. the view is indeed gorgeous. So I think that's well my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> to go, <laughs> the, well, the favorite reason to go up. Totally. It's still nice to just make that little walk through and see the prison, the old stories and feel that there's a whole story behind this fort and it's not just <laughs> a couple of wooden uh, <laughs> <laughs> things that are just there as an entrance. So yeah, that's really what I love about it. Totally. Honestly, like when you're spending all day on your feet at the park, one of the last things you want to do is climb those stairs. <laughs> True. Yeah. But it is really a fun thing to experience. And if this is your one and only time at Disneyland Paris, you know, just go through there at lunchtime whenever you have a moment to explore the fort and just see the very unique walkthrough attraction that we have over in Paris, which that's really what Disneyland Paris is kind of known for at this point is the amazing Big Thunder yeah. Mountain, the beautiful castle, and the strange walkthrough attractions that we have, which are so unique to the park. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot. Yeah. <laughs> What's next on your list, Niels? I stay close to my previous stop oh. and I take us to the playground next to the trading post. You already nice. mentioned it. It's named the Frontierland Playground uh, these days, but it used to be the Pocahontas Indian Village. This is a playground for the, well, the younger ones from three to eight years. And it could be best compared with another little playground in Adventureland, the Pirates Beach, which is, well, a bit more obvious. As this one is, well, quite hidden in the back of Frontierland, but it offers some small slides, some places to climb. Nothing really special in my opinion yeah but it's nice for the little ones and also for parents it's an interesting place because you need a break uh, <laughs> yeah you need a break it's a relatively quiet area and the kids might not be <laughs> so quiet but <laughs> <laughs> but the big park crowds are not here and you have a beautiful view over the rivers of the far west and big thunder mountain so yeah it's definitely worth a stop if you have uh, little kids Disney just should add uh, some more benches, uh, <laughs> in my uh, opinion. And although the name changed to Frontierland Playground, uh, the playground equipment theme is still the same and matches with uh, the TPs at the uh, Frontierland uh, entrance. And a fun fact here is that the soft floor has different colors, red, yellow, and green. And those are the colors of the wind referring to Pocahontas. Nice. Uh, well, the famous song, of course. In the past, Pocahontas met guests in this uh, playground area as well. But uh, nowadays, it's just a playground with a Native American uh, theme. So uh, have you ever been here, uh, Eric? <laughs> well, um, I have been there, but 
I must admit that the last time I was there, I was eight years old. Oh, so okay. it's been <laughs> that a makes while. Sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's not a place that you will visit if you don't have any kids with you. As it's maybe a bit strange if you're <laughs> there as an adult. <laughs> it's also very much a dead end. It is. At the moment, there's no attraction or anything back there. So no. honestly, I usually don't even head past no. Cowboy Cookout anymore these no, days. Exactly the reason why a lot of people miss well both the playgrounds and the bin trading post. So uh, yeah, yeah, totally a weird area at the moment. <laughs> it's totally strange. I don't know the Frontierland Theater is it back there as well? It's even more in the back. Okay. It's really next to the train station and the Cotton Creek Farm. So yeah, this is really a dead end in yeah. between. So if I ever get a chance to catch Lion King Rhythms of the Pride Lands, I might be heading back there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then they use this area sometimes uh, <laughs> for the long queues. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. To just line up people and uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I think it's a great option for parents. You let the kids get that energy out. Is. You yeah. know, take a breather. And because a lot of people, well, don't know that this playground exists. I just yeah. wanted to mention yeah. it here. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So what's next? So I wanted to talk a little bit about the Thunder Mesa River boat landing, specifically the yeah. Molly Brown these days. Today you can step aboard the Molly Brown since Mark Twain is currently on an extended holiday <laughs> and embark on a steam-powered journey along the rivers of the far west. Now I love a relaxing trip around the rivers and you learn some cool facts, especially if you can speak French <laughs> about Frontierland's many stories. So the narrator who is the quote-unquote captain of the Molly Brown informs parkgoers that Big Thunder Mountain is the site of the biggest gold strike in these parts. So this is something that you mentioned. But in spite of its richness, the mine was riddled with trouble and strange happenings, supposedly because it's located on the outskirts of a sacred Indian ground. Mm. So you can almost hear Disney removing the word burial yeah. <laughs> from sacred Indian burial ground. Very much a Stephen King vibe here, <laughs> which fits in perfectly due to Lance's integration of Phantom Manor and just the whole story arc that we covered earlier. Continuing on, the Molly Brown passes by Smuggler's Cove on its starboard side. That's the right-hand side for ye landlubbers. <laughs> the backstory behind Smuggler's Cove is that it was created as a river pirate hangout. However, it also used to practically serve the purpose of a ride, load, and unloading area for the River Rogue keelboats. Yep. These boats were adapted from the original Mike Fink keelboat designs borrowed from Disneyland and Walt Disney World. The design for the Smuggler's Cove is based on natural caverns, caves, and river inklets that water had carved out over time along the sandstone rock formations that line the banks of the Colorado River, particularly where it flows through Arizona. Historically speaking, there are plenty of gangs of thieves and smugglers who would hide along the rivers of the American Midwest. They would attack unsuspecting pioneers who were heading the west by boat or raft. These pioneering folks were in search of a better life out west, often carrying all their worldly belongings, only to have them be stolen by smugglers. <laughs> yeah. In contrast, these fictitious smugglers, along with the rivers of the far west at Disneyland Paris, quite often successfully stole large sums of wealth when they attacked unsuspecting boat travelers. This is because many of these travelers were carrying considerable amount of gold or silver ore that they had personally mined over in Big Thunder Mountain. <laughs> Next up is the fisherman's cabin on starboard side. The story here is that the cabin belongs to the oldest resident living along the shores of the rivers of the far west, Cap 
Fish Joe and his dog Moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> Rumor has it that he's the only fisherman who has ever managed to catch a fish in these waters. <laughs> now, Old Joe in his cabin is not an original concept for Disneyland Paris. The structure and the audio animatronic figure were adapted from a similar staging along the banks of Walt Disney World's Rivers of America because it enhanced the overall story of Frontierland. Mm-hmm. When Imagineers borrowed the, the idea of Beacon Joe from Walt Disney World's Frontierland, they wanted to give the figure his own personality, and so they made him into Old Joe, the fisherman who greets passing boats with his barking dog. Yep. And you can hear that dog also from the playground. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just behind uh, there. Yeah, yeah. Borderline yeah. annoying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagineers enlarged the dock he sits on and expanded the size of his shack, as well as extending the shack's roof side so they could protect Old Joe from the inclement Paris weather. Yeah. yeah. Audio animatronics and water. It's always challenging. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, first generation Jaws ride. <laughs> Next up is the moose family made up of a male, female, and baby moose. They were staged on the banks of the rivers of the far west as an example of wildlife to be found along the rivers in Washington, Wyoming, and Colorado, all gold mining territories. On the port side of the riverboat passes by, there's a beautiful natural arch bridge, which was styled after the double O arch, which is located in Utah's Arches National Park. By the way, that double O arch is so cool. Yeah, and you can really beautiful. see where the Imagineers drew their inspiration for the rainbow arch, which is really cool. Yeah. On the starboard side, you can see Frontierland Geyser Basin, which is based on Yellowstone's Mammoth Hot Springs. During the most recent refurbishment, the existing geothermal area was broken up into two sections to provide more visual interest rather than one type of treatment across the whole zone. The left-hand side represents the old section, inactive and overgrown with plants. This section also features the skeleton of the dinosaur. The central and foreground section are the active geysers. They erupt in randomized timing sequences and intensities over a four and a half minute programming sequence. The geysers also switch to a combination of compressed air and pressurized water in the last refurbishment, which is more cost effective (laughs) than the liquid (laughs) nitrogen that was originally used. Imagineers painted the new geyser basin based on visual references from different real geothermal areas. The central and foreground zones were given a punchy and lively color scheme to emphasize its active state and to create a color contrast with the often gray climate in the Cien and Marne region. (laughs) The runoff zones were painted in a reddish hue to create a visual link between the geysers and Big Thunder Mountain. Now, the rivers of the far west hold approximately 43,300 cubic meters of water. That's 11,483,600 gallons of water. You need some time to fill that up. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Filling the rivers of the far west took nearly four days in August of 1991. The water was brought in via a huge pipe located in the wall just below the Rustler's Roundup Shooting Gallery. While the rivers of the far west are not directly sourced from any one real river, they are an indicative look at the very many different rivers that one might find flowing through the western area, the Colorado and the Pecos River and so forth. So very cool, very detailed construction that the Imagineers came up with for Disneyland Paris. Do you have a favorite part of the rivers of the far west area, Niels? Ooh, this is a difficult one. Uh, well, it's not part of the story, but in the back there is a big boathouse. At this moment, the Mark Twain is there for its refurbishment. And somehow that boathouse always <laughs> catches my uh, attention, uh, although they try to, well, hide it a bit. 
and it's not well the best themed part of the ride but uh yeah <laughs> i all think it's interesting and would like <laughs> to have a look inside <laughs> nice behind the scenes right yeah exactly exactly but uh, other than that uh, the arch that you were talking about is the most gorgeous part i think uh, yeah yeah my last pick is the theater nice <laughs> it's located in the far end of frontierland right next to the disneyland uh, railroad station the theater is called frontierland theater since 2019 but it used to be the chaparral theater or the chaparral stage uh, for many years for uh, 22 years actually as it opened in uh, 1996 and the old theater was in need of some love and an upgrade oh yes <laughs> so Disneyland Paris decided to rebuild it from the ground up and opened the new theater as the Frontierland Theater. So it was not just a name change. They, well, practically rebuilt the whole thing uh, in the same place and uh, gave it a new name. Where the old stage was open on the sides, the new stage is fully indoors and equipped with the latest technology, of course. But Disney also left out the annoying stage view blocking <laughs> pillars. So... A lot of improvements were made, making it a beautiful uh, theater again. And although the name isn't an improvement, in my opinion, uh, Frontierland Theater doesn't sound like a part of Thunder Mesa. It also sounds very generic. Yeah, it's just the theater in a themed land, <laughs> 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 if you call it like this. But, uh, well, the old name felt a bit more like a local theater in the old times that really, well, fitted the story. But... Yeah, having said that, a series of high-quality and mainly seasonal musical shows have been performed in this uh, place over the years. And, uh, well, a little overview maybe. It all started in 1995 with the uh, Hillbilly uh, Hoedown, <laughs> um, <laughs> followed by a Pocahontas show in 1996, which ran till uh, 99. Then we had Mickey's Winter Wonderland in the winter seasons, of course, from 1997 uh, to 2012. Then Tarzan uh, came uh, to Frontierland in uh, 2000, the year 2000 uh, till 2008. So that was quite a, a long running show. It also ran in the summers of 2011 and 2012. Then we had one year uh, goofy summer camp during the summer season in 2009. And for a couple of years, the Frozen sing-along show. So that's something that maybe most people remember um, as that was there for, I think, three years uh, as part of the Frozen summer fun uh, season. Then there was the Forest of Enchantment, uh, the Disney musical adventure, as they called it, in uh, 2016 and 2017, which was quite a nice show as it combined some highlights from Tangled, Tarzan, Pocahontas and... Well, I forgot about the fourth one, but it was like four highlights <laughs> of uh, well, well-known Disney classics in just one new story. So uh, that was really cool. When the Frontierland Theater setup was completed, it opened with uh, The Lion King Rhythms of the Brightlands in uh, 2019. And uh, there was also the show um, that was uh, running this summer in uh, 2020. But uh, yeah. It was just for a short period of time uh, due to um, well the COVID uh, <laughs> pandemic. Uh, that, uh, Such a well, fantastic show, though. Yeah, that was really Broadway quality, in my opinion. And, and also proved how good this theater is from a technical point of view and an acoustic point of view. So, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful theater. And I guess we will get many, many more high quality shows uh, in here. You know what? I want them to bring back. I want them to bring back the Hillbilly Hoedown. I'm ready for it. <laughs> the origin, <laughs> Give the me the hillbilly out. <laughs> throw out Lion King. Throw out that whole elaborate state. I just want some hillbillies 
doing a hoedown. Hashtag hillbilly hoedown. Bring it back. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking, of course, but it's such a wonderful space. And um, it's so cool to see it evolve over time and have them improve the theater by removing those absolutely miserable yeah. pillars that were there before that always block your view in some way or the other yeah so the only disadvantage still is the seat as you would well yeah loves a nice seat a comfortable <laughs> one like uh, you have in most of the other theaters in uh, Walt disney studios park but here it's just uh, well long wooden benches and they can yeah put in a lot of people so uh, i guess it's a they took a note out of the indiana jones stunt show spectacular show over in orlando Orlando, yeah (laughs) yeah but on the other hand if you look at it from a a thunder mesa point of view then uh, they wouldn't have the comfortable seats uh, maybe and just have the wooden uh, benches so uh, yeah then well, then it fits. <laughs> yeah. So what's your last big area? Yeah, well, before we go, I wanted to talk about why Frontierland at Disneyland Paris was given so much love and attention. Now, most of the facts I'm going to list here are from a walking tour Tony Baxter gave at Disneyland Paris. And Denise from Mousesteps has this fantastic video on YouTube yep. that I recommend anybody interested go watch. It's an hour-long walking tour with Tony Baxter through Main Street and Frontierland. It's super yeah, insightful it's fantastic i just watched it uh, <laughs> before we started recording this uh, oh yeah, nice yeah yeah, yeah. oh it's, so it's, you're it's, all fresh up on the story yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the imagineer's line of thought was that in america folks take the american west for granted it's just a place however when you're looking at europe and france specifically at that time of course and the research and design team went to many, many little bookstores, not the ones directly in Paris, but in the outer villages, to see what people thought about in terms of America. And everything that came back to the top was that John Ford, John Wayne West that the movies depicted back in the early color days of film. So the monuments in stone and these rugged men on horses, that was what people were thinking of. But when Tony Baxter arrived in Paris, the number one billboard that could be seen everywhere was the Marlboro Man. Yeah. So the cowboy was alive and well over in France. Yeah. Together with smoking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, at the time, yeah. la cigarette, cigarette. Then yeah. turning on the television, Zorro, <laughs> Disney's 1957 television show was still being shown. So the team discovered the whole idea of the kind of mythic American West is really, really exciting for people that live so far away from it. Getting a real taste of it here in Frontierland was something that ran at the top of the charts in terms of the interest level to see this and to experience this. Now, Big Thunder Mountain was always the very last thing to be added to many Disney parks. The land was already built, so Imagineers had to find a suitable spot for it. Like, you know, oh, way over there in the corner in Walt Disney World in Disneyland. There's some space. Let's just drop it in there. (laughs) Given the freedom of designing Frontierland from the ground up, the team decided to put it smack dab in the middle as the land's flagship centerpiece. And you really feel it. So the whole land feels so harmonious and so complete. And the way it's constructed and really the whole Frontierland area is built like an amphitheater Mm. around the big Thunder Mountain Island. You can see it from pretty much any spot in Frontierland, and it really gives you a nice sense of orientation, direction, and of course, something beautiful to look at. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, 
about one last thing that makes our frontier land different from well the american ones oh yeah mm-hmm. um, is there you always have authentic <laughs> music in the background but the disneyland paris frontier land is the only one that has western movie songs playing ah yeah and that might relate to well the story that you just told huh, about the marlboro man and the clint eastwood western movies that the european people really connect yeah. to the old west so yeah it makes sense to have well, music from those movies also playing there to get people in the mood for the old American West. But uh, yeah, that's it, very true. On the other hand, it's not fully matching the Thunder Mesa story because yeah, this music relates not <laughs> to this unique story, but to other stories. So it's a bit of a contradictionary <laughs> thing. But, uh, <laughs> it just po- popped up in my mind. Yeah. It's very interesting. I feel like the Imagineers wanted to pick some music that feels familiar in a sense to the yeah. audience. Um, That's it. Yeah. So they know what to yeah. associate that sound with. And, oh, they hear that song from that Western film yeah. and instantly they and you see transport the horses it. and the yeah. cowboys. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah. So, Niels, we've come to the end. Where can people find you? You can find me on uh, Instagram through uh, at Capturing Disney Parks. That's uh, my main activity with uh, daily posts and for Twitter with news, my podcast and uh, well, Disney influencer portraits. Uh, you can visit the site uh, CapturingDisneyParks.com. So cool. You guys, be sure to follow Ermajik on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for more neat Disneyland Paris content. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. It really makes a difference and helps new folks discover the show. And if you do, we might read it on a future episode. Catherine from Great Britain writes, the friendliest Disneyland Paris podcast ever. (laughs) Starting with a negative, I'm gutted this podcast doesn't come out more often. Eric and Niels are by far my favorite Disney Parks podcast hosts. The guys and episodes are always friendly and upbeat, and I always have a huge smile on my face after listening. Not just because they've made me super excited for my next trip, they always have up-to-the-minute news, and it's lovely to see Disneyland Paris get the love it deserves. Keep the episodes coming, and then she inserted my favorite little smiley face heart emoji, so thank you so much, Catherine! Well, I feel honored. (laughs) This is, uh, well, the most beautiful review ever. (laughs) Yeah, your review brought a smile to my face, Catherine, though, so so sweet, and thank you very much for your kind words. (laughs) You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye! Bye-bye! So we've talked about Buffalo Bills a bit before on our Disney Village Part 2 episode. It was a really nice immersive experience, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this space will be utilized in the future. I'd love to see another show that is unique to Paris. Yeah. Something without animals, preferably. (laughs) I do like the dinner show concept, but I wouldn't be opposed to something more along the lines of Cirque du Soleil since it's wordless and ideal for international audiences. That was also my Uh, thinking, indeed. Yeah, yeah. The Cirque du Soleil shows are so great. And totally. Had they had it in Walt Disney World, La Nuba, or even better, they were creating a new show with Disney touches. Yeah, drawn to life. Yeah, for the Disney Springs uh, venue. So yeah, this could be a dinner show again, but then maybe with a bit more luxury and colorful food matching the Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, shows. I would love to see something like that um, coming to Disney Village uh, one day. Yeah, I mean. 
I suppose they could copy and paste Drawn to Life yeah. over to Paris as well, but I bet they're holding off on duplicating it until they get in a few good reviews. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And for now, yeah. The, well, a show is not really a possibility <laughs> with all the, yeah. the COVID measurements. And uh, yeah, and, and, and of course, there's a reason that they now well, basically kill all the street entertainments, the big shows. So uh, yeah, 